If you've got a Bible with you, open to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, where we just had our scripture reading. And today we're going to be talking again about the word apocalypsis, which means revelation. And a lot of people think that apocalypse means the end of the world. So people read the book of Revelation trying to find clues about the end of the world. And they see things in the world that are going bad, and they think those are signs of the apocalypse. But apocalypse actually means to be revealed, for something to be revealed. And so the book of Revelation is so confusing for so many of us, and oftentimes we just don't read it because we struggle with the idea of Revelation, of what it is God reveals. And so in the last few weeks, we've talked about what God is pleased to reveal, that he reveals what is most real, his own self, his nature, his eternal presence, his power, his knowledge, that he reveals that through Jesus, the perfect lens by which we understand who God is, and that God reveals our own hearts to us as we read his word and keep his words we see in ourselves the things that align with Jesus and the things that do not align with Jesus's way of living in the world. And we have a choice to become more like him and to long for him and to look for him. And so like an expectant parent waiting for their child to come home from college or an expectant person waiting on a date we continue to look at the words and wait for the moment of our reunion with Jesus, who is the groom for his church, the bride. And the Spirit helps us in this. The Spirit helps us to cry out to Jesus, Come, Jesus, we're looking forward to being reunited with you. So God is pleased to reveal these kinds of things to us. Not always the things that we want to know, and not always the things that we think the Bible or the book of Revelation is supposed to reveal. So today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to read from the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. And this is why when we struggle with the book of Revelation, if it confuses us, we can read 1 Peter, his letter to churches scattered around the ancient world. And what we will find is that if we read this and then we read the book of Revelation again with this in mind, it becomes much more clear. Peter writes a plain letter to his friends in the churches. His friend John, who together were disciples in Jesus' inner circle, writes in a different style of literature called apocalyptic literature, in which he uses all of these symbols and mythologies and scriptures and nightmares to paint the picture of reality. Peter speaks plainly. John speaks in symbols and pictures about the same thing, which is the church in the world waiting for the salvation of God. And these Christians feel at many times as if they're waiting in vain, as if God is never going to save them. They see their families being torn apart, literally being persecuted, and sometimes literally being torn apart by wild animals in the Colosseum in Rome. 
and they feel like they are in exile. They feel like God has abandoned them. They feel like they would like to know when is God going to answer their prayers? When is God going to rescue them? Why are they going through all of these things? And they see the damage being done. And they might ask questions like this one. How long, Lord, will you let this go on? Have you ever asked a question like that? How long, Lord? Why would you let this go on? Why do people suffer for the faith of Jesus? Why is persecution allowed to continue in the world? How long, Lord? Why are you doing this? Why isn't your salvation here now when we need it? And so we're going to see today that salvation for Peter and for John both is not about being spared from the fire. Salvation is about living through it. Salvation is not about being spared from the fire, but that the fire cannot burn you up. Salvation is not about being spared from the fire, but that the fire purifies and refines God's people. That the suffering endured for the sake of Christ actually produces the saved people of God. This is part of God's great mystery that he's revealing. So take a look at 1 Peter chapter 1 with me this morning and look at the way Peter opens the letter. He introduces himself, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he introduces his audience to God's elect, which means chosen. You've been picked by God. To God's elect should be comforting words, should be words of hope, should be words of promise. But in the text, the very next word shows why the people may not feel a lot of hope and a lot of promise. To God's elect exiles in the world. These two words next to each other produce a tension in this scripture because elect people don't feel like exiled people and exiled people don't feel like elect people. To be in exile means to be forgotten, to have been punished, sent away, abandoned. And the people who feel like they are exiles probably do not feel like they are actually chosen by God, elect by him. They feel alone. And Peter writes to them to say, you are elect exiles. You are still chosen and loved and called even in your situation. This fire that they are going through is not going to burn them up. And they're asking, how long, O Lord? Now, from Revelation, uh, John's apocalypse, we have a passage that I would like to share today to hold up next to 1 Peter chapter 1 so that you can see the way that these two friends, disciples of Jesus, are talking about the same realities in different ways. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 through verse 11, reads like this. Um, let me give you a little background. In the artistry of John's apocalypse, he has told about the throne of God in chapter 4 and about the one seated on it a majestic vision of God. In chapter 5, he's told about someone else who's also on the throne, which is the Lamb 
who was slaughtered but is alive and is worthy to open this scroll that will reveal God's plan. And when the scroll is opened, it is opened by seven seals that are holding it shut, like melted wax. And as the first one is opened, and the second one and the third one are opened, things begin to happen in John's vision. Terrible and awful things, plagues and destructions of different kinds. And so it's a, it's a kind of terrifying set of visions. And whenever the fifth seal is, is opened and is broken by the Lamb, this is what uh, is seen. This is the vision that is seen in Revelation 6, 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain, slaughtered, same word as the Lamb, people of the Lamb who've been treated like the Lamb. People of Christ who've been treated like Christ. They've been killed because of their service to God and their service to Christ, the Son of God. They are spodzane. They are slain. And they're under the altar. Now, this is a strange vision because usually uh, slain lambs or other offerings in the temple would be laid on the altar. And if they were slain, they would be seen on the altar. But these are souls of people slain under the altar. And the altar would be like a large piece of furniture for burning the sacrifices and the incense and offering these things to God under the old covenant that was instituted at Sinai and given to Moses and carried on through the life of Jesus until he made a new covenant in his own blood for the people of God. And so this altar would be in, in the real world, there's an altar in the temple in Jerusalem. In John's vision, this is an altar in heaven, in front of the throne of God. And he says, I see souls of those slain under the altar. It's a very strange vision. And they were slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. So because of their witness for Christ. And this is what they ask. They cried out in a loud voice, How long? How long? How long, God, will you allow this to continue? And I wonder, have you ever asked that? Have you ever asked God how long you would live in a particular life situation that was painful, that was disappointing, uh, that was full of hurt, that lacked hope? Have you ever asked God how long how long, O oh Lord? And they ask him, How long, sovereign Lord? They remember who he is. The Lord in control, the Lord of power. He's revealed himself to them as the sovereign Lord. And so they say, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true? They remind him of his character, which he has revealed to them. You are holy, you are true, you're faithful, you're good, and you're faithful. How, so how long until you answer, Sovereign Lord? How long until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? That's the question from the souls under the altar. And so Peter, writing his letters, that's John's vision, Revelation 6. Peter, in 1 Peter 1, writes to God's elect, the exiles, scattered in the world. And they're scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Similar regions, some of the overlapping regions to where John sent his 
visions, his apocalypse, his revelation. And so here's the answer in verse 11 of Revelation 6 to the people who ask, how long, O Lord? Then each of them was given a white robe. Each of them was given a white robe. Last week in Revelation 22, we read that blessed are those who wash their robes. And we said this is not something we can do on our own. We cannot produce for ourselves a new sinless history, a new life without mistakes. We can't, we can't go back and live our life without faults. We carry guilt and we have shame because of that. We can't wash our own robes. So to whom do we turn? We turn to Jesus, who is the great launderer. He does the laundry for us. He washes the robes. These souls under the altar, they're given this new robe, symbolic way of saying fresh start. So while they're asking how long, they're given the robe. And they were told to wait a little longer, wait a little longer, until, and this is troubling, the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. So, I mean, what a troubling vision. These are terrifying visions in Revelation. And what these people are told is to wait a little longer. Your status with Jesus is being secured from Jesus himself, giving you the white robe. And wait a little while, because others in the church, your brothers and sisters, are also going to be killed. They're going to be slaughtered like the lamb that they follow, and they're going to also come under this altar, which is protecting them. In this vision, the altar is protecting the souls of those who are crying out, How long, O Lord? They are not put on the altar. They've, they've already given everything for Christ. And they're not the animal on the altar. They're under the altar, under its protection. And so this is John's vision. Now back to Peter, who is writing to these Christians who they're not, they're not in the vision of being already dead under the altar waiting. They're living in the Roman world with all the realities of the persecution under Nero, with all the trouble in the real world, with the heartache and the agony in life in the real world. They're waiting for a great salvation. They're not experiencing in their day-to-day -day life this great symbolic truth of being given white robes and being told just wait a little longer. They're actually wondering how long are we going to endure this? And Peter says to you, elect exiles. He says in verse two, you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God knows what is coming. You're being sanctified by the work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus, the Anointed One, the Christ, and sprinkling by His blood. So, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all participating in securing these elect exiles that are chosen and yet suffering. They don't feel elect. The Father knows what they're going through. He knew ahead of time and chose them. The Spirit is sanctifying them. That means he's redeeming their life. He's making their life worth something. He's making their life holy, set apart for God's service. He is leading them towards a purpose, purifying them, refining them. They're not going to be burned up by the fire. They're going to be refined by it for obedience to Jesus 
and the sprinkling by the blood of Jesus. Now, when they offered sacrifices on the altar in the Old Covenant, they would, they would sprinkle the blood, certain kinds of sacrifices, around and on the altar. And sometimes of the year, they would sprinkle it in the most holy place over the Ark of the Covenant, God's promise with his people. There was this gilded, beautiful box that represented God's covenant and his seat in the Holy of Holies in the middle of the temple. And right outside of there where the altar was, there was a lot of blood sprinkled for sacrifices throughout the year. And so this verse, Peter says, you've been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. Now he's using pictures of his own here to say that what Jesus did on the cross is like is like a sprinkling that you receive. Okay, here's, here's what's going on in Peter and here's what's going on in John. Peter says you've been sprinkled by his blood. That means atonement has been made. The offering has been made and it's been sprinkled on the altar. And so Jesus' blood has been, has been sprinkled to atone. And the souls in John are under that altar, which is to say they've been sprinkled by his blood. They are protected by the altar of God because Jesus in his own body, in his own uh, death on the cross, has purified and protects the people of God permanently. So even though they're exiles, even though they're suffering in the world, even though they're going through these terrible things, Peter and John, what they both see because they've seen and touched Jesus and they've been given these visions of what is to come, it's been revealed to them is you are actually being saved because you are under the protection of the sprinkling of the most precious blood there ever was, the blood of Jesus. And, and while you cry out, how long, how long, how long? God says, wait a little longer. It's hard to see right now, but this is actually working. You are being saved. I have not forgotten you. What a message of hope. Now in these verses that follow, verses three through 12, the word that we get revelation from, apocalypse, it shows up three times. And it'll show up four more times. Uh, the word in English, revelation, shows up four more times in the book of First Peter. So in First Peter's letter, he uses words that in English mean revelation seven times. Six of those are the word apocalypse, and one of those is the word phanerao, which is a cognate. It's, it means almost the same thing in Greek. And so he talks about Revelation a lot in this letter. John, in the book called Revelation, actually only uses that word just the, the one time. But it's all about things being revealed, and Peter's letter talks about Revelations throughout the book. So, for instance, we see it in these verses. In verse 5, Peter says, the coming salvation is ready to be revealed. So God is to these people suffering, God is revealing his salvation. He's going to show it to them and help them to see it. He says that Jesus Christ is going to be revealed. So there will be another chance to see him. Remember, come Lord Jesus, we're longing for that. He says that something was revealed to the prophets in the past. In the past, when the prophets wrote books of the Old Testament scriptures, and they gave prophecies to Israel, and they were teaching that a Messiah was coming and that he would suffer. What was revealed to them is that they were not working and preaching and talking for their own sake, but for our sake. So there was a revelation to them that the salvation was coming. And then, and that's in verse 12, and then in verse 13, Peter again says, Jesus Christ will be revealed at his coming. 
And in chapter 1, verse 20, he says, um, these things were revealed in the last times for your sake. So God is opening up the story of salvation to help us. And in chapter 4, 13, he says, the glory of Jesus will be revealed. And then in chapter 5, 1, he says, again, the glory of Jesus will be revealed. So there's all of these promises packed in this little book that God is still showing his plan to the people who are in exile, you know, exile, who are saying, how long, O Lord, how long? And if this is you today, struggling through something in life and wondering how long God's message to you from Revelation 6 is, a little longer, a little longer, and that Jesus is bringing to you a white robe, symbolic of your pure relationship with him, that he's setting all things right. And Peter will put it in these words. I want to read verse 3 to 12. Even though you've already heard it, I want to read it again so that you can just hear again how Peter talks to people that are suffering about this great salvation that's being revealed, even though they're in the fire. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Peter says, God in heaven the Spirit from heaven, the Son of God from heaven, all his angelic armies and hosts, whatever powers he deploys at his command, are keeping your inheritance in heaven for you. Last week in Revelation 22, do you remember what we read? Blessed are those who keep the words of this prophecy, that our mission is to read the words and keep the words and long for his coming. He is keeping for us the inheritance, the promised salvation, the reunion with him. We keep looking at the words, and he keeps protecting the inheritance. We keep reading the words, even though we're suffering and asking how long, and he keeps saying, I've got this. I'm protecting you. The inheritance is kept in heaven from you who through faith are shielded by God's power. How are you shielded by God's power? You're under the altar that's been sprinkled by his blood. Yes, we might be slaughtered like the lamb is slaughtered and suffer many things in this world like all people do, and we might suffer more things for the sake of Christ. Our brothers and sisters throughout the world endure this. Some of us may endure this, suffering for the name of Christ. And yet we are shielded by God's power because what he keeps can't be taken. And he's keeping our inheritance. And he's keeping us shielded under the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, protected under the altar. You are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in this last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Now you want to know what the book of Revelation is about. This is what it's about. Peter and John are on the same page. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you've had to suffer griefs and all kinds of trials. 
This is what the book of Revelation is about. Rejoice. Even though there's suffering, don't lose focus. Rejoice. Celebrate God's good community. Celebrate the Eucharist, the communion together as a church. Sing songs of praise to God. Worship God, not created things. Long for his coming. In this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while you've had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. This is what Revelation is all about. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater value than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Your faith is being revealed through the testing. The fires come, and salvation does not mean being spared from the fire, but that the fire cannot burn you up. It only refines you further. Though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. This is what Revelation is all about. No, you haven't literally had the chance yet to hug him, to touch him, to hear his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount for yourself, to go across the lake on the boat with him and walk on the water with him and see the Mount of Transfiguration with him. No, you did get left out of some of those things. It feels like being an exile in the world of faith, but you're being kept. You believe in him and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. This is what the book of Revelation is all about. Is that the people who are suffering are still filled with an uncanny joy inexpressible and glorious joy that the people who are suffering and asking how long, O oh Lord, they can carry on because they know that God is not going to lose and he is not going to lose track of them. You're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And Peter says, you know, this is what we've been looking for. This is what we needed to be revealed, the salvation of God. In fact, all created things know that this is at the heartbeat of history. What Jesus did in the sprinkling of the blood, uh, of, of cleansing the, this altar, of protecting the people who wait under it, this is at the center of history. This is the real center of history. And so people from the past or the future or, or those beings who have power beyond our spheres, they're all bending to try to look into this mystery. He says the prophets from the past concerning this salvation, they spoke about the grace that was to come to you, exiles chosen by God. The prophets in the past, as great as they were, they were bending in history to try to look and see what's been given to you, what's been revealed to you and me. They were trying to find out the time and circumstance. Do you see what that means? They were doing everything they could to unveil this truth, to reveal it, to apocalypse it. They were trying to have this revelation and, and they couldn't. It wasn't for them. It was revealed that it wasn't for them, but that it was for us. They were trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointed, predicting the sufferings of Messiah and the glories that would follow. And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. 
Now look at, look at how else history bends to look at this truth. When they spoke of the things that have now been told to you, by those that have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. The prophets from the past were bending history to try to see what was coming. The angels in heaven have bent down towards earth to try to see what's been given to you. And it's this, this mysterious truth, a little longer, a little longer, you're under the altar that's been sprinkled with the most precious blood. This fire will not burn you up. It will refine you. It will not burn us up. It will refine us. Long for his coming. Keep his words because he's keeping your inheritance and he's keeping our souls and he's keeping his promises. God keeps his word. This is the salvation that's been revealed to you. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven who chose us, thank you for loving us. Holy Spirit, who prepares us, thank you for not giving up on us, even though sometimes your preparation burns like fire. Jesus Christ, who sprinkled us with your own precious blood, thank you for being our protector. Sovereign Lord, how long will we live in this world with its troubles? As long as it is, give us patience to wait inexpressible joy, and the courage to keep eating this Eucharist meal together, to keep celebrating and worshiping God, and to keep on together for your sake and the gospel. We keep your words with your help. Please keep us in your hand. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and the church together says, Amen.